Look here. If you're good, I'll give you a test. I mean, go, you must have it up here if you're, if you're good, right? I've got everywhere, yeah. Right. <laughs> What's two plus two plus one? Two plus two, that's four, plus one, that's five. He's right. <laughs> yeah, of course I am. I told you all the time, didn't I? As soon as I arrived, told you I was God, you doubted me. I'm sorry, sorry, sir. Now look, can you get me on the housing list? What do you <laughs> Goompod. This week, my very special guest is the writer and cartoonist Nick Newman. Nick and his regular writing collaborator Ian Hislop are the brains behind the new play Spike, which looks at the titular Milligan during the white heat of his creativity, writing and performing in The Goon Show. Uh, Nick, welcome to the podcast. Delighted to be here. This, this new play that you and Ian have written, Spike, uh, it opens on Thursday. So if you listen Indeed. to this, yeah, if you listen to this the day it goes out, that's tomorrow. Uh, so it's Thursday, the 27th of January at the Watermill Theatre in Newbury, uh, directed by Paul Hart. And I gather it focuses on arguably what was Spike's most creative period as the chief driver behind the Goon Show in, in the 50s. Is that right? That's right. Yeah. I mean, we, we very much wanted to, to, um, do a celebration of, of Spike's um, creative genius. Um, uh, it, it, I think there have been quite a few uh, sort of takes on, on his sort of mental health problems and um, uh, the sort of darker side of, and, and that tends to be the way mm. comedians are, are, are treated. Um, there was a, a, a drama about um, Peter Cook a while ago, which again sort of focused on the sort of darker side of Peter's life. Yeah. And um, our our intention was always just to uh, to to celebrate uh, Spike's genius rather than uh, focus on the on the on the, uh, the 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 more painful aspect of his life. But I mean, that said, we we you know we, you can't sort of uh, separate the two. There's a, there's an element of 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 the darker side in the play. Um, but for the most part, it's really about the the battle that uh, Spike had with the BBC um, and uh, how he sort of uh, overcame the BBC to create this uh, amazing show. Yeah, I was um, just reading some of the promotional material about the you know about the play that's out there, and the Goon Show episode 1985 is mentioned. Um, yes, and funny enough, the show, the podcast episode that's going out next week is actually on that particular oh, right. episode so i've done quite a quite a lot of sort of modern parlance a deep dive on that episode and it's packed to the rafters with digs i suppose you could call yes, it at, at, yes. at the bbc uh it was a, a something of a, a revelation to me to be honest because um i my love of the goons sort of 
started in the in the 1960s um when the the, when i I was um, a schoolboy and heard heard uh i was brought up in singapore and we didn't have any television so my dad used to to get recordings of of uh, various things and uh, one of which was the goon shows and my brother and i would sort of memorize entire scripts off by heart um it was our sort of only only real entertainment mm. and i heard a lot of goon shows but i'd never heard this uh, 1985 show and it was while we were researching the play that we came across it and it seemed to us the sort of perfect climax of of his battles with the BBC this um uh, amazingly prolonged attack on on the BBC in 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 the 1985 um show I mean that that said you know for all his his problems with the BBC um the BBC did put him on and so we we do sort of give them credit for that yeah and the fact that they were were willing to put out a show which basically um took the mickey out of itself out of out of uh, the institution itself i thought it was it was very much to the bbc's credit yes um but it's a it's a it's an incredibly funny show and uh, the, the the 1985 show yeah uh we've we've uh, edited it obviously um because we it it comes within the context of a of a bigger play um but we we hope that we've sort of distilled the the essence of of what it was all about yeah, well, it was a great opportunity because Spike was one of the things about doing this podcast is that I'm, I went from being a fan of the show to actually doing a bit of research in terms of the the writing behind the shows and what was happening in popular culture, you know. And and Spike very often, for example, uh, he was a he was a big fan or he was quite friendly with the writer Nigel Neal, who adapted 1984 for BBC oh, right. television. Okay. Uh, so 1984 which went out live, by the way, in December 54 with Peter Cushing in, in the lead. Uh, that went out in December and 1985, The Goon Show, went out, what, two, three weeks later? Something like really? that. Really? Gosh, that close. I didn't really, I didn't know that. Yeah. And it was a great opportunity for, for Spike to, because obviously, you know, the, 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 what's the word? The um, happy coincidence that Big Brother is BB. And obviously, yes, yes. Uh, <laughs> and it was a good good opportunity to uh, satirize the incoming ITV, which was yes. going to be starting in '55, and yeah, just loads and loads and loads of topical references. The reason you wouldn't have heard it in Singapore was because it was one of the small handful of goon shows that didn't um, didn't get uh, an overseas sale because it was it was considered far too topical. Right. Okay. It was partly that which sort of opened our eyes to how satirical um uh, the goon shows were um and and this was sort of part of the 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 the, the battles that he had with the bbc were a, about the 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 sort of satirical content of the shows mm. um uh, and i don't think you know he gets much credit for that i mean the the most the, i think the sort of popular take is that that satire started in the in the late 50s with beyond the fringe yeah um, but I think Spike was there right from the get-go, you know, sort of from from fifty-three onwards. Oh yeah, oh totally. And and also a lot of the goon shows that are available now that you hear on BBC Sounds or on YouTube or whatever, that they, they are the edited. They're edited down a lot of them. Yes. And they were edited back in the fifties because for overseas sales. And so 
most topical references would, would be removed. And, and that, I guess that's why that's perpetuated this, this belief that, that the goon show wasn't satirical. Uh, yeah. if, if you know what I mean. Yes. Um, yes. So what was Ian's, what's Ian's history with, with the goons? Was he a fan? Uh, no, he wasn't. I mean, we, we, the, how, how this um, play came about was mm. that we were approached by the BBC about f- five or six years ago um, to do something on Spike and they wanted, uh, it was to, to, to coincide with the um, centenary of his birth. Mm. And um, we um, were given access to um, a whole um, tranche of, of um, correspondence between uh, the, from the BBC archives between Spike and the BBC and um, also sort of internal memos from producers to BBC executives about The Goon Show and about Spike. So that sort of opened um, our eyes to it. Um, I was always a big Goon Show fan. And um, Ian really, I mean, he knew, obviously he knew um, about Spike, um, but he didn't really know The Goon Shows at all. And it was only once we sort of sat down and started considering doing it as a, as a drama, yeah. for the BBC, that Ian started listening, uh, sort of reading the scripts. I, I think he's sort of less keen on the, on the sort of, uh, you know, a lot of it, the Goon Show be, can be quite divisive. Mm. Um, and find people, some people find the, the, the voices and the sound effects and everything quite annoying. Uh, and I think Ian was probably in, the, in, in that camp. Um, but once we sort of started going through the scripts, um, he really did, appreciate the quality of the writing and the quality of the jokes mm-hmm. so uh yeah i think he's a he's be, be become a, a goon show convert as a as a result of this process oh good good one thing you, you mentioned about it being quite divisive i heard as you, as you know there was a, a a piece on the play on broadcasting house yesterday yes, morning yesterday yeah uh and which, which is very good and then at the end the presenter said that the that there was a bit of a um division in the studio anyone under 40 yeah or the, the 40 year olds have no idea about it whereas the older ones did but but i'm actually one of the things about this doing this podcast is that it's amazing how many people you know i'm 47 and i would say the majority of guests that i have have been my generation you know they've not been yeah. i've had i've had guests as young as 35 on the show who and, and the common thread tends to have been they've heard their dad's cassettes or yeah. LPs that tends to be the, you know, the road into it. Um, does the play then strictly sort of focus on, on the professional spike or does it sort of go into his personal life? His, his home no, it life? does go into his personal life because I think they, the, the, the story is, is, is all sort of the personal and the professional are intertwined um, and they, they sort of fed off each other. But it's it's interesting the sort of generational divide there. I mean, while I, I, mean, I think it's been very it's good for us that um, that uh, modern audiences don't really know about Spike or the Goon Show, um, and it's you know this gives us an opportunity to um, to to uh, hopefully sort of open opened people's eyes to how how brilliant they were. I mean, at, when the Goon Show came out, it, it divided people on generational lines i mean i, I there's um 
there's a very good um, uh, Desert Island Discs with Sir Michael Palin, as he is now, yeah. um, from the, from the must be 1970s, 79, I think. 79, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, you know, he describes how, um, you know, he would rush home from school and, and to catch the, the goon show. But I don't, I, I think he's on record saying his, his father didn't understand it at all and found it too noisy and um, uh, the silly voices and all that. So I think, you know, at the time it, it, it divided people. Um, uh, you know, I think the, young, the younger generation, um, the, the, the boomers, as it were, uh, loved it because it was um, anarchic and, and chaotic and it was sort of anti-authority. Um, whereas yes. the, the um, older generation saw it as subversive um, and disrespectful. Um, and we've tried to sort of reflect that in the play too. There's a, um, all kinds of sort of arguments that you can put against the Goon Show, and and those are sort of argued out within the BBC and with Spike throughout the play. But, but wouldn't, um, wouldn't you wouldn't you say though? I mean, absolutely. The fifties was yes, yeah, still very much bound up in deference. I suppose. Yes. But wouldn't you say that the like the Suez Crisis was was the first indication that the office of prime minister was fallible? If you know what I mean, yeah, uh, yes, and, and that and the goons and rock and roll, everything was chipping away, wasn't it? Yes, yes. Well, you know, the Spike got into into a lot of trouble for doing a, a parody of the coronation, and um, I don't think anybody had, before that had had dared to do an impression of of the Queen or the the uh, or an impression of the Prime Minister. Mm. And there were sellers doing all of this stuff, and um, and Spike was being um, hauled over the coals as a result. Uh, so it, I mean, it was very um, groundbreaking at the time. And and again, you know, um, for for all the however much we 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 mock the BBC in the play, the BBC did put these shows out, and um, you know, Spike they may you know, some executives may have, have wanted wanted the show cancelled as a result, but the BBC didn't cancel it, and they did put the shows out. So um, yeah, hats off to them. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. You mentioned Peter Cook before. Um, yes. Do you know the story that Peter Cook, when he was at school, he wrote a goon show script? Yes. I, I in fact, I've, I've just written about, about about that for the for the program in the um, oh, for the, right. for the, um, the play program uh, at the Watermill. Um, I've written a piece about the relationship between Spike and Private Eye, because both obviously Ian's the editor of Private Eye and mm. I've worked at Private Eye for, for 40 years. And Spike's influence um, looms over the eye um, quite heavily. Yeah. Peter Cook was an enormous fan, and Richard Ingram's was um, a big Spike fan. And he and Spike used to write to the the magazine all the time, and send in jokes and wrote pieces for them. So, um, well, yeah, uh, Richard yeah. Ingram's turns up in Q five. Yes, series. Q5. Yes, and with, along with John Wells. Um, oh yes, yeah, and 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 Peter Cook. I just the other day, literally the other day, I got hold of um, audio of an episode of Where Do I Sit, Peter's ill-fated chat show from the oh yes early seventies, yes. um, and there's a there's a improvised sketch that he and Spike performed. Um, which caused a, a brouhaha, shall we say, because yes. he, Peter is pretending to, or Peter, Peter's character says that he's God 
and Spike is, I think, a tramp who doesn't believe him. And they just sort of riffed off each other, you know. And it's quite funny, but it, it causes a bit of a stink at the time because it was seen as being blasphemous. I think, of course, I think yes. Mrs. Whitehouse um, had a few things to say about it. <laughs> well, um, I, I think that, you know, that Peter Cook uh, knew no, no, no ban- boundaries to his sense of humour, really. Yes. Um, uh, yeah. So, no, I, I haven't seen that that particular. I, I remember the, the, the show, but I don't recall the, um, Spike appearing on it. But in fact, Spike and, and Peter's, their, their careers crossed paths many, many times. Um, and they, um, um, Spike appeared on uh, Not Only But Also, and, um, hmm. uh, and um, then Peter appeared on the Q programmes as well, I think. Um, but it's a, it's an it's an interesting story. The 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 you know when, when Peter was about seventeen, he wrote uh, he wrote this script that he sent to the BBC. He was at Radley at the time. He was still at school. Mm. Uh, the BBC came back and rejected it. But a, a producer called Peter Titheridge, I think, um, wrote back to Peter Cook and said um, said. Um, this is actually a very good goon show script. You know, it, it's it's too similar to the goons, but it is a, it is a, a very funny goon show script. And this script ended up on Spike's desk, and Spike was so um, impressed that he invited Peter up for for lunch. And Peter's uh, biographer Harry Thompson, yeah, um, uh, r- r- writes about this and says sadly that, that neither neither Peter nor Spike could remember what how the lunch went. Um, but it's still a, a, a measure of what you know how brilliant Peter was that he was getting Spike's attention from that age. Oh yeah, um, and um, also you know all credit to Spike for seeing um, uh, the, the you know the the potential in Peter. Um, and it's you know thereafter a lot of Spike sort of Milligan esque humour infused Peter's own um, output. Um, the 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 footlights shows that he that Peter went on to do at Cambridge. Um, the characters were were people like Race, Splutt, and you know, sort of they're very sort of goonish yeah. type names. Yeah. And actually, the Bridge on the River Y mm. um, uh, special that they they recorded was very much a, a, a goon show meets Beyond the Fringe production um, because Jonathan Miller was in it. Peter yep. Cook was was in it, um, and of course uh, Spike and and um, Peter Sellers. Do, do you know the um, the story about that LP? No, uh, no. Tell me. I think George Martin produced it. Oh, did he? Right. They the, originally it was going to be it was based on a, a Goon Show script, um, which they adapted, and it was going to be called Bridge on the River Kwai, and they recorded it and were referring to River Kwai all through the piece and after they recorded it they found out that the producers of the actual film were preventing them from using this name oh what they they copy copyrighted the the name cry i guess so (laughs) and so and so the poor producer had to go through with a little pair of scissors and just cut out the k in the beginning of each (laughs) (laughs) that's very funny we present the bridge over the river why Subsequently, the lawsuit over the River Kwai, and finally, Ministry of Hygiene annual report on the River Kwai. Sergeant Quatter, ah. you say the river bottom is sanded. Right, sir. The river bottom is sandy, sir. Good. 
Have you any knowledge of trees? I was born in one, sir. Good. You see those wooden ones across the river? Personally, sir. Think you could chop them down? Not from here, sir. Well, get Private Blix. He's a lumberjack. I'm sorry, sir. He's bent down to 10B, sir. Got a broken arm, sir. Can't chop down trees with a broken arm, sir. Couldn't he try an axe? Um, hello. Hello? Field Marshal Eccles, how are you getting on as a sanitary orderly? I want to speak to you about that. Since I've been doing that job, the men make me sleep outside in the snow. Snow? Snow in Burma? No, Switzerland. That's where they make me go. So, um, tell me about the cast. Uh, tell me about, is it John Deglish? Is he, does he yes, play Spike? Yes. Tell me about him. Yeah, well, he, he, most recently he he's done, and he was um, in a play called Cratchit at the, um, the Park Theatre. But um, he's... Uh, won an, an Olivier Award for playing Ray Davis in the Kinks play, which, which went yeah. into the West End. Right. Um, and um, he was born to play Spike. You know, he's a he's a big Spike fan, um, and he both physically um, he he he, I mean, he looks a bit like Spike, and he has that sort of slightly sort of gangly uh, frame. Um, mm. he, I mean, it's, it's not an impression. It's a, it's, a, it's a fully developed character that he's created. Um, but he is, um, I can say, you know, it, obviously it all hangs on, really, on the casting of Spike, and he is absolutely brilliant. Um, so I think fans will not be disappointed. Yeah, I mean, there's, there's been this, like, you, you touched on it before, there have been a lot of plays um, both live and audio about the goons and restaging of goon shows as well and also plays about spike himself you know these are by people like toby haydoke and ian billings and there's there's obviously different people playing spike and they all have different interpretations of spike is john doing you know a close impression of spike or just a kind of a feel for the character well, well i think it's i think it's not a close impression i mean he's very good at the voices so he can do you know he can do Eccles and, um, you know, he's, he, he's got the, the voices perfectly. Yeah. Um, but I mean, you know, I, I, I never met Spike. So I've just, you know, my, my uh, knowledge is based entirely from, from um, interviews and chat shows and stuff, but I think it's, it's a very good take. He's got the feel of him and the sort of awkwardness that, um, that I, that was certainly my impression of Spike, you know, the yeah. sort of, um, um, you you didn't really know what what to expect when he when he said anything, but um, but it it, it isn't it, it's not an impression. I think um, it's an actor's in, interpretation, uh-huh. if that makes sense. Yeah, it does. It does. And, and likewise for 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 um, Sellers and um, uh, and Harry Seacombe, Jeremy Lloyd, um, who we've worked with before, he was in a play that Ian and I wrote called. Um, Trial by Laughter, and he, um, about the satirist William Hone. Mm. Um, and in that, Jeremy played um, the Prince Regent and absolutely brilliantly. I mean, he's a very, very funny performer and he can also sing. And um, uh, so he he's just brilliant as, as, as Harry Seacombe. And yeah. um, playing Peter Sellers is George Kemp, who again, we've worked with before he was in a play that Ian and I wrote called The Wipers Times about the, mm. the First World War trench newspaper and he played um, Lieutenant Jack Pearson who was one of the writers of The Wipers Times in, in that 
and George again he's he's just a very funny actor who um uh, just sort of nails uh Sellers sort of uh, suaveness um is yeah. that a word I'm, yeah um and again he can do the you know he's just very good at the voices but um they're you know hopefully they're they are they're, they're not just sort of uh, facsimile impressions um that they, they are characters in their own right yeah Seacombe um, Seacombe's probably I would have thought would be the hardest to nail because he's got such a distinctive uh, a laser voice hasn't he I suppose yes yes well one of the things that we the the, the first read through we sort of um you know, we knew that Jeremy could sing um but you know once uh, he sort of breaks into song we thought we want more of this you know his his voice is superb yeah and so we've expanded the opportunities for for um Seacom to uh to burst into song um, <laughs> and there are lots of jokes about it but um you know he was very very good and that was one of the interesting things I mean, it, it comes up in the play um how bbc management um sort of regarded harry Seacom as the real talent in the in the group um because he could sing and also um, act so he was seemed to be a sort of multi-talented performer um, and and was paid accordingly um, a lot more than Spike you know so um, which was a, was which was also a bone of contention for Spike and the BBC between Spike and the BBC yeah indeed he was kind of he was well below Sullins and Seagam and Benteen yes the payment yes. stakes wasn't he and um, there's a, a correspondence between uh, the BBC, a BBC executive, and and Peter Eaton, I think it is, mm. um, or, or De Dennis Bain Wilson, saying that um, you know it's clear that that Seacombe is the real um, the real star of the show, and Spike is something of a freak performer. Um, they they describe him, you know, because. You know, he's. He, I, I think he was sort of treated as a sort of second-class citizen, largely because he was a writer as as much as anything else, um, and also because he was he caused them a lot of grief because he was late with scripts and um, argued with them all the time. Well, the other thing was that the other two, if we if we forget Benting for now, yes, the, the I mean, we in our play Benting doesn't feature. He's referred to, but he's he's left by the time our play yeah. starts. Where the other two, they, they all they had to do was turn up on Sunday. To the Camden Theatre and effectively bring into life what Spike had written. That's all they had to do. Yeah. Uh, which is, you know, no small feat, but um, but it meant that the rest of the week they could be up and down the country, sellers and seeking, performing in variety, appearing on TV or radio or whatever it may be. Whereas Spike, um, he didn't have that luxury. He was, he was at, either at home or in the office. He had the drudgery, if you like, of writing a new script every week. Yeah. Yeah. So his so his profile was obviously not as high as the other two. Yes, yes, I can I can imagine it it must have rankled with him a lot. Yeah. Um, yeah. Another name that I've seen in the cast that um I'm I'm certainly aware of her work, Margaret Caborn Smith. Yes. Yes, who who is utterly brilliant. Um I mean they're all they're all absolutely wonderful. Like we're we're blessed with a very very fine cast indeed. But um, Margaret, again, we were we were about to work with her about two years ago. We would uh, another play, a play, another play. What in and I wrote yeah. um, called a bunch of amateurs, um, which uh, we we did at the Watermill many many years ago. Mm. Um, 
uh, that was about to start a national tour and Margaret was going to be in that. And um, sadly, it, it all uh, COVID um, put paid to that. Yeah. Um, but uh, no, Margaret pops up in all kinds of, of, of um, uh, comedy shows and um, she's uh, she's married to a, a, another stalwart of ours, um, um, uh, Dan Tetzel, who has been in um, oh, yes. uh, many, yes. many of our shows. Um, both we've worked with Dan on on radio, and he was also uh, one of the, the the key members of our of our um, Wipers Times cast, um, and also Trial by Laughter. So we you know we, it's all in the family with with yeah with Dan and Margaret. Um, yeah, and just, we're very lucky to have her. Dan's a, a was a collaborator with um, Richard Herring. Yes, that's, yes, that's where I know him from. So what does what does Margaret play? What's her role? Uh, well, she plays uh, quite a few characters, but um, she, she sort of opens the show as um, Janet, who is the um, the sound effects specialist. Um, okay. So she she brings introduces the audience to the the uh, the world of sound effects and the, the she's the is that a foley operator would you call it a foley yeah. I don't know, a, yeah, a yeah. foley technician yeah um but um uh, many years ago um i did a wrote a radio series with uh, christopher douglas um ah yes uh, for, mm. for dawn french um called uh, mastering the universe and we did it um uh, the second series we did in front of an, an audience and one of the great pleasures was doing sound effects live um, in front of the audience. Right. Yeah. Um, we had a, 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 a woman um, who was absolutely brilliant and the, the audience really enjoyed seeing these effects being performed live. And uh, when we were right, uh, turning what, what, what had been a screenplay into a, into a, a, a play, uh, one of the things we thought would be uh, it would be a, a, a great way of sort of recreating that world of the goons by having the sound effects done live. So that's it. It's part of the story. The Spike sort of pioneering use of sound effects. Um, yes, is part of the the, the show. You know the um, you know but, you know the story behind the famous Fred the Oyster sound effect. Do you? Um, tell me I'm, i may okay. well you may have put it in the play i'm okay i can't do an imitation of it but there's a famous goon show sound effect which is supposed to be the sound of an oyster opening and yes it, it does feature in our play it does okay yeah and, it, and it's this weird otherworldly sound and it, and and apparently the story is that it's a recording of a donkey um, breaking yes. wind. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yes well, we, um, Margaret, as as this as the foley operator, does explain exactly all the ingredients that go into this sound effect, um, <laughs> which is very funny. I mean, it's um, it's part of the. When 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 the show starts, it's right in the early days, and it's um, the sound effects are fairly primitive, you know. It's but they they are very. I, I mean, if anybody heard the um, broadcasting house um, mm. piece on the on the play, um, you will have heard a few of this, those sound effects being done by by Margaret. When he opens the door, 
Dick has to make a run for it. Into some bushes. Some celluloid tape. Startling some birds who fly away. An umbrella. Before falling into some dustbins. And then making his getaway on a horse. Coconuts. All totally convincing. <laughs> and when you listen to it on radio, they are absolutely convincing. You know, the feet running off and the... Um, yeah. going through the bushes and um, and um, knocking over dustbins and those are all done with little props on on a on a on a tray uh, by the the um, end of the the play the sound effects are much more sophisticated and they involve a lot of recordings and overdubbings and um, the sort of thing that you would now take as commonplace um, as a for a radio show. I mean, I've done many, many radio shows, and I I find it I find it always fascinating how they create the soundscape for for a radio show. Yeah. Um, but the technology is such now that you can do it. You know, um, overlaying disc on, on top of disc on top of disc, but. Back then, it was, of course, um, you know, it was it was groundbreaking what they were doing. And um, Spike was largely responsible for all of that. Well, yeah, he, he was one of the earliest adopters of the BBC Radiophonic Workshop uh, that was put to great use in many of the sort of later goon shows. Yeah, well, it's um, it features very prominently in the play. So <laughs> uh, lovers of, of Foley art <laughs> they will, yeah. will not be disappointed. Um, you've also got some some unknown bum called Stephen Fry uh, <laughs> in the play. <laughs> yes, yes. Just... I don't know how. I, I mean, that, that this is our director Paul Hart's doing. Um, he just said, "Oh, do you think it would be fun to ask Stephen Fry to be the announcer?" So he and we said, "Yeah, good luck with that." And Stephen <laughs> um, uh, leapt at it, and he's very funny he is too i mean very mm. uh, i mean it's not a again he doesn't do an impression of of greenslade mm. um he does it him does it very much as himself but it's um it, well it's a joy to hear you know just to have have that extra element and stephen also does a, a, a sort of brummy uh compare because there's a there there's a bit where we, we follow Spike doing his disastrous um, show in Coventry. Oh, yeah. Mm. Which you probably know yep. about. Um, and um, Stephen uh, does the, 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 the Brummy compare for that show. And it, it's brilliant. I mean, it's completely unrecognisable as Stephen Fry. Um, but um, it's a chance for Stephen to act a bit. And I, anyway, I'm weird delighted to have him on board. I don't know if you ever saw the Thames television restaging of the goon show Tales of Men's Shirts in 1968. It was no, filmed, no. It, was, it was filmed, well, it was just, it was a restaging of an old goon show and it had Salah Seekham and Milligan. Uh, and by that point, Wallace Greenslade had died. So they got John Cleese in as the oh, announcer. Right. And, and John Cleese was just, you know, he wasn't trying to imitate 
any form of 1950s BBC announcer at all. You know, he was he was just Cleese being Cleese, being slightly sardonic and, and slightly sort of peevish, you know? Yes. Um, I'm just wondering, does does Stephen Fry, does he sort of, does he play it straight or is is there, you know, can you see, is it Stephen Fry sort of acting up for the audience? Um, I, I've only heard one tiny snippet when we went to rehearsals last week. Right. And, um, uh, and it was just in the context of, of what they were rehearsing at the time. Right. And it, it sounded, it sounded pretty straight to me. Yeah. Um, I can tell you more after Thursday sure. when yeah. I hear the whole thing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You mentioned again, in some of the promotional uh, material articles that I've read on the internet, either yourself or Ian mentions Spike's letters to the BBC and, and says that they're incredibly funny and he complained about everything. Yes. Um, have you got any sort of specific examples that spring to mind? Well, um, uh, there is a, a, a sort of flow of correspondence about um, about scheduling um, with a, a, a chap called. Um, I don't know, I've, I've actually got the, the the letters in front of me. The executive, he was a variety booking manager called mm. Patrick Newman. Pat Newman, no yeah. relation. I hasten to. Yeah. <laughs> right. And um, uh, it's it's to do with um, uh, the, the the scheduling and and Spike writes to him and says, um, um, "Dear sir, regarding the letter of the twentieth September advising the change of time for the recording of the Goon Show on thirtieth of October, I am available at this time. I would like to add a note though: anybody who comes to hear a show at three forty-five on a Sunday afternoon must be a without a home and b gormless." <laughs> <laughs> and then he goes on to say, psychologically, it is a bad time to perform a comedy show. It is like doing Rigoletto in the middle of a bo- uh, in the middle of Bond Street. But apparently, my opinion does not matter anymore. Go ahead, grind it out. Well, sincerely, Spike. And Pat Newman responds and says, in your letter of twenty second of September, it would surely have been better to, uh, better at a to say homeless, which goes better. Uh, with Gormless, maybe you should book the artists and I should write the scripts. You know, unbelievable Ouch. nerve of, of somebody. <laughs> um, but actually, I mean, we 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 do this in the in the play. But um, he, he is right, Pat Newman, that that um, uh, rather than saying without a home, um, if Spike if Spike had said homeless or Gormless. Exactly, a better way of, of yep. putting it than without a home and gormless. Um, but anyway, I, we, we thought this was incredibly funny um, that uh, that anybody in the BBC should have the nerve to uh, to pick Spike up on 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 his uh, joke uh, um, telling yeah. abilities. Um, uh, and also, and there's there's more sort of talk about um, performing Rigoletto, and uh, the BBC is so short of funds that. Uh, Pat, Pat Newman goes on to say that we probably will be doing Rigoletto in Bond Street and because um, uh, it's a uh, studio is too expensive. Spike says, well, if, if you are going to do Rigoletto in Bond Street, can you put me down for tickets? And it goes on and on like this. So it's sort of it is sort of quite good humoured banter, I suppose. But it was it did strike us as being being something of a. Um, uh, a bit of a nerve of, of an executive to 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 spar with Spike in this way. Um, yeah, but I wonder. I wonder whether that was the only way to really deal with Spike. 
is yeah, is rather than, rather than meekly accept it or or, yeah. or just sort of toe the line if 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 there's a bit of chutzpah a bit of cheek given back milligan's, yeah. e- milligan's either gonna he's gonna take it one of two ways he's gonna lose his rag or he's gonna say fair play to you you know yeah 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 yeah, yeah. he's I, it's the, I'm sort of looking at this this letter um it's quite hard to read because it's very old you know sort of it's very faded and, yeah. and um, i've just got a facsimile of it um but he does he addresses spike's uh, reluctance to uh, perform on a sunday afternoon uh, such unhappiness in the mind of an artist is really more of a production matter than a contractual one uh and i will see your allergy to performing at a time uh, and I don't, it doesn't make any sense it's, I will see your allergy to performing at a time when presumably you are normally snoozing off the Sunday joint is uh, I, I will see this is passed on to various producers and studio planners and plotters and controllers and makeup girls and Gestetna operators etc um so he's he's um uh, having a laugh with Spike I think yeah. is the best thing you can say but I don't think it amused Spike at all um yeah, well, um, there, there was a letter that Spike wrote. Um, they, were, they were negotiating whether there was going to be a series nine. Spike was in one of his one of his periodic moods, and was threatening that he wouldn't want to come back. He he wouldn't you know he wouldn't agree to a a new series. And he wrote this letter to the BBC, basically saying, "I'm going, I'm getting on a boat to Australia." I can't. I can't remember exactly what what was in the letter, but essentially the the, the tone of it was, uh, "I'm going away to Australia. If you want a series nine of the Goon Show, then these are my demands." And there they had follows you know, a, a, a bullet point list of I don't know nine or ten demands, most of which were fairly unreasonable, shall we say? Yeah. And yeah. The, the one that sticks in my mind is, and and this is bizarre. This is totally bizarre, but Valentine Dial, I'm sure you're aware of Valentine Dial. Oh, yes, yes. Yeah, who who had um, been a, a regular recurring guest in The Goon Show over the years. Um, one of Milligan's demands was that Valentine Dial be drafted in as a as a, as a permanent uh, performer on the show. Yes. And, and that he would take on some of Seller's parts. Right? Right. And no reason given why. And I really can't, I can't for the life of me fathom what, I guess Spike must have been, uh, uh, must have fallen out with Peter at that time, because they often fell out. Yes, yes. And, and, and that that prompted that, you know. Uh, but the BBC basically dug the heels in and said, well, I think there was a slight compromise on, the, the, you know, they, they maybe acceded to a couple of his demands. But the rest of it, they basically said no, you know, effectively get stuffed. <laughs> um, and, 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 and he... He backed down and he, you know, eventually came back from Australia and there was a ninth series. Right, right. Well, yeah. no, the, the, the correspondence is very, very um, interesting and illuminating. Um, that was and that was pretty much our starting point for the whole uh, the whole thing. You know, when we, we when we initially approached by the BBC, we thought, well, what's the story here? And um, and it was through the 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 the, the, the tranche of of um, letters to and from that we sort of thought, well, this is really about Spike continuing 
the war with Hitler, but with the BBC. <laughs> um, yeah. So that's that's um, initially we were going to call the play Milligan's War, um, uh, because it, we it was about um, the the war with Hitler, Mussolini, the BBC, and then ultimately himself, really. Mm. Um, yeah. And um, uh, you know, he obviously needed um, sort of friction in his life to. Uh, be creative and um he, he no, this is that was that's our sort of take on it um yeah uh, he, he was he was a perennial protester throughout his life yeah and, yeah and, and it just sort of went on when he stopped doing the goons he 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 carried on arguing with everybody really didn't he and yeah. and it's interesting you know um you know in the in the the course of our story it goes from from the bbc saying you cannot possibly um do an impression of the queen um to um the royal family embracing the goons and and um uh, you know him being a friend of royalty mm. and but even as a friend of royalty it didn't stop him arguing with prince charles over blood sports and um all kinds of things so he you know he was um he he never stopped fighting and he never stopped complaining. I'm mean, right up to the, you know, the, I think it's very fitting that his, the row over his, um, his tombstone and the inscription on his oh, tombstone, yeah. mm. um, which mm. uh, uh, I thought sort of summed up his life really. Yeah. Um, the, the argument with the church over whether or not he could have, uh, um, I told you I was ill on his tombstone. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. Did you, did you have any input? or any communication with Spike's family at all? Well, we, yes, we, um, very early on, um, we met um, Jane Milligan. Yeah. Um, just to talk about, um, uh, you know, how, how we might approach it. Um, and she was very helpful. Um, and after we wrote the script, uh, after we wrote the, the play, uh, we, um, sent it to Jane and um, her sister, Celia, um, because you know we we wanted the um, the approval of the Milligan estate so that we could um, uh, you know and because uh, we wanted to to use some excerpts from the Goon shows and we have to get their approval to to um, allow that mm-hmm. um, and um, thankfully they they're very very keen on it and they're very um, happy to that we're, we're we're doing this good so um uh uh yeah no it's been it's been it's been great and um it's great great to proceed with their blessing yeah yeah do you, do you think do you think spike milligan still has a place in the public consciousness even today or or is he rapidly being forgotten well i think he is rapidly being forgotten um and, and um you know, this is part of our, our our hopes for the play that um, it will remind people of his enduring genius. Um, certainly, uh, you know, amongst my my children and their generation, the the the, the generation Z, as it's called, um, I don't think they have a clue who Spike is, and most of them have never heard of the Goons. Yeah, um, it's uh, uh, our hope that um, this will. Um, um, remind people of what what you know why why they should listen to these shows. Um, when we wrote 
um, the Wipers Times. It was a, about this trench newspaper from um, mm. uh, that was produced in in Ypres in um, in the First World War, and it was our belief that the material in the Wipers Times uh, was still funny and would still mean something to an audience today. Um, but it took a bit of a leap of faith to to recreate these the jokes that they did um, because they could have fallen very flat and people could have said, yeah, well, it's, yeah. It's, yeah. Um, um, it's jolly good that they did them at the time, but um, they're not very funny, are they? Um, and it was our belief that they were still funny. And luckily we were we were we were right. Um, and, you know, modern audiences really did find their stuff very very funny and i and it's um the the wipers times i'm now very proud to say is a, an a-level set text yes yeah um and um so you know it is resonating with a with a young audience um today which is just absolutely brilliant and it's very much our hope that the same will happen with spike um yeah, um, yeah. you know my my children um, know nothing about it, know nothing about him, and um, you know they'll come and see it, and hopefully they will find it as funny as I did when I was um, growing up in Singapore. Well, yeah, and with with, with your like you say with your play, <clears throat> with this podcast, he said modestly, you know, <laughs> we're all doing we're all doing our bit to keep um, to keep Milligan and keep the, the others flame alive. Yes. Keep the flame yeah. alive. Uh, it is rapidly selling out i'm very pleased to say mm-hmm. um so, so um but we're on at the, the the watermill from um uh the 27th of january until march the 5th yeah um and it's um if you haven't been to the watermill it's a it's worth a trip in on its own it's a jewel of a theater um uh set in the in the berkshire country countryside it's about about five miles outside newbury um, and it's a converted barn and there are ducks everywhere and it's it's beautiful. Um, and we've done four plays there. This will be our fourth play. Um, and they've got a fantastic reputation for encouraging new writing. And a lot of their shows go on tour and transfer to the West End. Um, so do come and catch it if you can. It's um like uh, with with all plays, it's in the lap of the gods as to whether or not it works and whether or not audiences, um, you know, get out of it what you want them to. Yes. But um, uh, from from what I've seen, I've been hugely pleased with with how it's um, gone so far. And um, we had a stagger through on um, on last Friday, and uh, uh, it was um, very joyous. So um, you know. Please come and see it and and um, make your own mind up. Absolutely. Any plans? I mean, I guess you'd be seeing how it goes, but any sort of future plans for it if it goes really well? Um, well, I mean, the other things we've done have all sort of had a life beyond the watermill. So, um, you know, touch wood. Um, uh-huh. uh, you, you know, again, you, you just hope that... Um, uh, you know, as with the, the Wipers Times and um, Trial by Laughter, our two most recent plays, you you hope that people pick up on it and think, yeah, this is, you know, a, a wider audience should see it. Um, you know, I think there's a, a huge um, amount of love for Spike out there. Uh, and it's um, it's just 
so waking audiences up to to the fact that he's you know the story is an, an interesting one and um and one that still means something today um it, you know but who knows we'll, who knows? We, we'll <laughs> do, all we can do is keep our fingers crossed absolutely yeah well listen nick thank you so much for taking time no it's out been of your... an absolute pleasure i think you know it's great that there's a um a sort of fan base out there and hopefully it'll get bigger and bigger as um as time goes by yeah last thing any plans for the next play ha. <laughs> <laughs> this could be the end of our careers you know, <laughs> who knows? Right. You know? um we we do no we've we've got some ideas um there's a a pg woodhouse um uh novel that we we are very keen on that um we would be very keen on adapting um yeah, we, we, the, the, we, there's another, we, we, we've got lots of ideas. Um, there's a thing about Sheridan that we're very keen, the, oh, the right. story behind um, Sheridan writing The Rivals mm. is a story that is, um, we're very interested in. Um, and we were about to start writing something on that before COVID um, hit. Uh, but um, again, you know, we'll, we'll probably return to that at a later stage, but, but we were, keener to get spike up and running first but um yeah there are there are great stories out there well well, yeah covid or the lurgy the lurgy the dreaded lurgy yeah (laughs) Uh, i've not read the rivals but it's um mrs malaprop is yes that's right yeah no the the sheridan story is another thing entirely i mean sheridan and we're, we're we're very interested in the creative process and how things came about um and it was the same with with wipers you know how did they how did they write all that stuff in the trenches and under enemy fire how did spike conquer his 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 own personal problems to to uh, create this this comic masterpiece um and with the, the sheridan story he was he wrote the rivals because he was absolutely uh, sort of destitute and needed money so thought, well, I can, I'll write a comedy. He was about 24. He, he himself had taken part in two duels, which um, uh, nearly killed him. Yeah. Uh, and to try and save his, his marriage and, his, and, and to, to um, avoid destitution, he wrote this play called The Rivals and then became the biggest hit um, of the the um georgian era really and it's yeah. just I mean, um, a, there's, there's a bit of a parallel there it's a bit more lowbrow admittedly but i'm sure frederick Forsyth wrote day of the jackal yes because yes. he was he was sick of just eating cold baked beans and he just said yeah. well, I'll, I'll write a thriller yeah yeah <laughs> yeah no the, the sheridan story is very very um very very interesting and quite funny um Mm. Uh, so we we will we will probably return to that at a, a, at some stage, but um, um, yeah, yeah, we'll see, have to see how Spike goes first. Yeah, there, no, there's there's so much. I mean, you know, the, as with the Wipers Times, once once you start working on something, you get so much more material than sort of talking to you. It's been very interesting hearing extra little snippets of of, of how things came about and and stories behind the, the things you hear on the on the on the radio. Um, but you. you know in the process of doing the re- the research for Spike, so much more stuff has come out that 
you could we could write another play entirely. I, I, there, there's a bit in the play which which is sort of is there to sort of point up Spike's awkwardness with people and his spikiness. Um, a bit where where you know a fan comes up to him and says um, um, says oh you're that that funny bloke off the off the radio you know you're you're very funny go on tell us a joke and Spike says to this fan um what do you do for a living and he he says well i'm a carpenter he says i'll tell you what you make me a table and it, it's incredibly ungrateful and quite rude but also very very funny yeah uh, and classic spike and um i was um i was in the context only last week and doing doing some research additional research on spike i was reading about how he was a great fan of um um, Evelyn Wars, and um, he he once saw um, Evelyn War um, coming out of a club in London, and he he went up to War and said, um, "I'm sorry to bother you, Mr. War, but I'm a big fan of yours, and um, could I trouble you for a, a, an autograph?" And um, Evelyn War um, said, "Oh yes, yes, I suppose so." And um, he Spike got out a piece of paper, and, and uh, Evelyn War scribbled on it. And Spike said, thank you very much, and went away. And um, when he, he opened up the piece of paper, it said, go away. <laughs> <laughs> and I just love the idea that for, for all Spike's spikiness, he was also on the receiving end of, of that kind of sort of stroppishness from, from other celebrities. Yeah. So um, no, there, 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 there's a, very quickly, there's a story that Spike tells uh, where a fan or someone comes up to him one day and says can I have your autograph and sort of kind of almost demands an autograph you know yeah and Spike says oh you, you won't want my autograph you'll just what well, what will you do with it you'll just chuck it away and the man said no no I'll, I'll treasure it I'll keep it forever yeah and Spike says all right all right I'll give you my autograph and he writes his autograph on a piece of paper and then he asks for the man's address and the man gives it to him and according to Spike two years later uh, let's say the man lived in Isha. Two years later, Spike happened to be driving through Isha at midnight. <laughs> and he went to this man's address and he knocked on the door, got him up out of bed and said, right, sh show me that you still got the autograph. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, that's very good. I like yeah. that. Yeah. Oh, um, next, thank you again. And, and I really no, appreciate it. No, no. Well, it's been an absolute pleasure, Tyler. Good, good luck with it. Thanks again to Nick. Don't forget, all previous episodes of the podcast are available to listen to and download in all the usual places. I'll be back next time with a show uh, all about the Goon Show that Nick and I uh, referred to earlier, uh, 1985, their parody of Orwell's 1984. So look out for that. In the meantime, take care of yourselves. Bye. <laughs>